Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. There is therefore. The therefore, you ask, what's the therefore? Therefore, it's what's preceding that. And remember in Romans 7 there, Paul had gone on and said, man, the things I don't want to do, I do. The things I I do want to do, I don't do. The very thing I hate is what I practice. The very evil I will not to do is what I do. And then he ends in verse 25 there of Romans 7 by saying, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. But then he sort of ends on sort of a bummer note. So then, with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. In essence, Paul says, I know through Jesus Christ I'm forgiven, but the war continues. I'm born again. God's spirit lives in me. The willing is present. I just want to live for God. I want to live holy and pure and submitted and obedient and be this fruitful Christian. But yet my flesh is full of sin. My flesh, he said, is sold under sin, under bondage. He makes it clear. It's not a matter of, well, I'm doing a couple things that I probably shouldn't do. He said, no, the evil I wish not to do, I do. The very things I hate are the things that I practice. There's no good thing that dwells in this flesh. I'm born again, I want to live for God, but in my flesh, it is as sinful and evil and, and opposite of a submitted, obedient Christian life. And, and I'm going to live like that until the day I leave this body, as all of us will. And so he sort of ends with that, saying the struggle goes on until we are in our brand new bodies with the Lord in heaven. And then the very next phrase in chapter 8. So what do we do with that? Therefore, now. Now, as a born-again Christian, there is no condemnation The word no here is emphatic in the Greek. Stifler writes it this way. Condemnation is none of any source or of any cause. None possible, none forever. I love that. There's no condemnation from any source, from any cause. There's no condemnation of any way, shape, or form. Not now and not forever. Linsky says, not a single one of any kind. How we need to come to that realization today that there is no condemnation as we wrestle and struggle with our sinful flesh. We have a great high priest who sympathizes with us in all our weaknesses. Therefore, when we're wrestling with this flesh, especially if we're losing in that battle, we can come boldly into the throne of grace to receive mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. As we wrestle with the flesh, we need to continue to remember we have uh, in Psalm 103 that, that God is our Father. He knows our frame. He knows what it does. As a father pities his child, so the Lord pities us and crowns us with loving kindness and tender mercy. Now, in saying this, I need to quickly make a note. I'm not minimizing sin. 
As true as this is, the Bible has numerous verses, even in the book of Romans we're going to cover, that, that makes it clear God will not be mocked. Whatever a man sows, that he'll reap. So I don't want to say, ah, live and let live. The sin thing's not a big issue anymore. Whatever happens, happens. It's all cool, man. Don't worry. Be happy. I'm not saying any of that. Those are all slogans for various items that are sold. Um, None of it's doctrines of the scripture. The Bible continually says, you're going to reap what you sow. So the Bible makes a very emphatic point also that we need to fight our fleshly nature and win. So we don't sow to the wind and reap the whirlwind or we're not suffering the consequences of our foolishness or our sin. And this is again in Galatians 5. It says, if we walk in the spirit, we won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. It doesn't say that we're going to minimize the flesh or the flesh is going to go away or those tendencies or desires or passions will go away. They're still there. They're screaming. They're yelling. They're trying to pull us into the pit every second of every day. But as we walk in the Spirit, we won't do it. We'll sow to the Spirit and we'll reap of the Spirit. And so, again, you know, this planet Earth can be pretty brutal sometimes. It doesn't take a thousand sins to cause difficulty upon you. Matter of fact, a guy could just commit one sin. One time he gets drunk, and one time he gets in a car wreck, and then the rest of his life he's paralyzed. Gosh, it was just one night, one sin. Yeah, but, you know, that's the thing. We we can never calculate exactly what we're going to (laughs) reap with that sin. And so that's why, again, sin is serious business. And I I don't want to somehow trivialize that and make it sound like, oh, yeah, you know, we sin, everybody does it. You know, it's it's a huge deal. But the point here in chapter 8 is wanting us to understand God's point of view towards us in our sinful nature. And that is that there is no condemnation. That he is not condemning you. Why? He says plainly here, because we are in Christ. And man, how we need to understand that. That Christ lives in us. His spirit lives in us. And that we are in him. So often I think we we sort of picture the the Christian family, sort of like, uh, you know, God is the owner of the factory. Jesus is the foreman. And we're all employees. You know, and here comes the foreman. Work hard. You know, okay. Oh, there's the owner. Look good. Make it look good, you know. And, and we have sort of this weird pressure thing happening. And it's not that way at all. As a matter of fact, it says in John 15 that Jesus is the vine. We're the branches in that vine. And the Father is the one who prunes us, not to punish us or to weaken us, but that we might become more fruitful. So we're in this family. We're a part of this connectedness with Christ. As a matter of fact, in John 17, Jesus, thinking about you guys right now in 2010 here, in John 17, 20, he says, I do not pray for these alone, those disciples who were alive at that time, but also for those who will believe in me, Through their word, that's us. Verse 21, that they, talking about us, all may be one as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. You know, we have one God. 
But that one God is in three persons, and I'm not saying that's easy to understand. I'm not going to take the time to explain it today. But we have one God in three persons, and, and Jesus is saying, Father, as I am in you, and you're in me. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. There's no quality of God that wasn't in Christ. All the Godhead bodily was put into Christ. And so we, we see there that um, he's saying, as, as you are in me and I am in you, this perfect unity of quality, of substance in every way, that they would be in us and we in them in the same way as the Father and the Son are one. Now that's a mystery. It's sort of an infinite statement that our little finite minds can't completely connect. But yet it is such a powerful statement as we begin to try to realize that this is Christ's heart. Jesus' heart is that we are in such a unity with him that there's no separation. That Christ never thinks of himself without us in him. And he wants us to never think of ourselves without him being in us. That there is this perfect unity that we are in Christ. And since we are in Christ, there is no condemnation. Is the Father condemning Jesus? (laughs) Does Jesus feel condemned right now? Of course not. The Father's well pleased with the Son. But yet Christ, what did he do? He became sin for all of us. Jesus on the cross took all our sin upon him. He who knew no sin became sin for us. He's going to tell us in a minute here in Romans 8. He condemned all sin in the flesh of Christ. Again, what did, what did that happen? Did that mean that Christ now is condemned? No, he was judged. He was punished for our sins. But there's no condemnation in Christ. There's no condemnation in us. Because we are in Christ. There's absolutely zero condemnation. So, I guess the question here is, is, well, why do Christians then feel condemned? Maybe you've been a Christian 20, 30 years, and, and you're saying, you know, I, I know this is true, but yet on a day-by-day basis, I do feel condemned. Why is that? Well, number one, I, I think it's simply because a lot of times people aren't clearly taught this doctrine. I liked what Dr. Barnhouse said. He said that every Christian, if their Bible were to fall off a table, should automatically open to Romans 8. (laughs) In in other words, that this point in the Bible is so amazingly clear that you've meditated on it, read it, and studied it so many times that, that your Bible just automatically opens that way, or even your heart, if you would, opens that way to that truth to hear There's no condemnation. Secondly, I think, it's because our hearts condemn us. In 1 John 3.20, it says, For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. You know what? Our heart does feel guilty for its sin, and it should. it's, It's a healthy thing when you feel guilt. If you don't feel guilt, you're you're in a scary place. Just like if you were to grab a hot pan with your hand, you should feel that hot, that heat and burning your hand, right? Causing you to release and, and to not do yourself serious damage. 
In the same way, when we feel guilt, especially immediately, it's a healthy thing. We're going to let go of that pan of wrongdoing with our words or with our attitudes. But guilt, it's, it's not to bring us to condemnation. I mean, think about it. If I were to say to one of my kids, well, last night when you finish eating, you didn't take your plate and put it in the sink like you were supposed to, and you put more work upon your mother. And there one of the kids goes, oh, man, I can't believe I forgot that. Two weeks later, they're sitting on the couch and they're sort of depressed and I'm like, what's wrong? Man, I still can't believe I left that plate on the table two weeks ago. I just, I'm just still feeling horrible. You know, as a parent, was that my intention? Good. I'm glad two weeks later you still feel about, about that. That's the way it should. I mean, do I have any pleasure in that? It's like, look, I, I wanted you to feel guilty for a second repent and not do it again. I I wasn't trying to mark you for life over the, you know, plate and table situation. In in the same way, I mean, it would grieve the Father if, if he convicts our hearts and our heart condemns us. We feel guilty and then we stay in that condemnation. That's the opposite of what he's trying to do. So yes, our hearts do condemn us. We have a guilt, and it's a good thing. We need to identify that pain. It's emotional. It's relational. That hurt my wife or my husband or my kids or my friends or God. But then immediately, we need to realize God's greater than our hearts. He knows all things. We go back and earlier in 1 John, it says, Little children, I write these things that you don't sin, but if you do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation not only for our sins, but for the whole world. We confess our sins. He's faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We confess it. We're healed. We're forgiven. We let go of the things and press forward. I think another reason we feel condemnation is the devil. In Revelation 12, verse 10, Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ has come for the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God. Look, look at this guy. Day and night has been cast down. Right now, Satan is condemning us day and night. We see in Revelation, eventually all of that Accusing and condemnation of Satan is going to be done away with. But right now, I think we feel that pressure. And you've got to realize, Satan's been around thousands of years. He is a professional condemner. He knows how to string our stupidities together and make us feel absolutely horrible about it. He knows how to push all the buttons. Have you ever noticed that with brothers and sisters? And sometimes with husbands and wives, you know, you can, husband can say, oh, you're just like your mother, you know, or something, and... Woo, those fighting words sometimes. <laughs> you know, just how, to, just how to make them cringe or make them angry or make them more frustrated. Well, Satan knows how to take this series of things, all 30 years of every stupid thing you've ever said and done and put it in a nice little package to just try to sink you. He knows how to do it. When you put several years of stupidity together, it really looks bad. (laughs) 
And, you, you know, we really don't have an argument. He's right. It was horrible. It's stupid. And when you put it together and make it look like that, it really looks bad. But we have to come to that point to realize, hold it. Satan has no power over us. And God has forgiven us of those sins and scattered them far as the east is to the west. And, you know, I think the advice to all of us was the advice that Eve should have got in the garden. Just don't talk to the devil, right? <laughs> just don't, don't listen to him. Just say, I rebuke you, Satan. Get behind me. I'm not going to listen to that. You're too right uh, to begin with. But secondly, it's irrelevant. It doesn't matter. I think the fourth reason we feel condemned is our conscience. In Hebrews 9, verse 14, it says, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience, notice what, from dead works to serve the living God. God has made us in his image and he's given us of his conscience. So we can, we can think and fantasize and, and, and we can role play in our minds and, and to realize that, hold it, that fantasy in my mind, even though I haven't done it, it can be sin equally so, right? Jesus said, I could hate somebody in my heart and it could be seen as murder in God's eyes or I could lust in my heart and it could be seen as adultery. In the same way that our conscience, you know, we're, we got ourselves in a situation, we start role playing, okay, how can I lie my way out of this? And, and we get this scenario in our head and then we begin to feel condemned going, man, I'm such a deviant. <laughs> I'm, I'm such a, I'm a person that can, can try to manipulate people and things and, and our conscience begins to weigh us down. And so again, it's a reality that our conscience helps us to see our sinful condition. But again, it tells us in Hebrews that on the cross, that Christ also paid for those dead works, even of the mind, even of the fantasy world, even of the conscience. And so again, we need to come back to that place to realize, you know what, even though I feel the guilt or even though I... I, I I can see the depths of my depravity through my conscience in a way that, that scares me at times. Even though when the devil puts it all together in a package to try to slam me, there's still no condemnation. Because Christ has taken all my sins, all those things the devil reminded me of, all those things that I could think up in the future, and everything in between of heart and mind and action All of them were paid on the cross. And so the bottom line is, is we need to quit listening to our feelings. You know, that's that's a step in maturity, right? I mean, you get your junior high kid and they've got feelings, you know, I hate him one day, he's my best friend the next day and I hate him again and he's my best friend and, you know, and up and down and the emotions are going and they get into high school and they're still... You know, with the hormones thrown in there, everything's up and down and roller coaster and I'm going to live, I'm going to die and it's the happiest day of my life, the worst day of my life, all in the same minute. And, 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 and eventually, you, eventually you come to that place to, to walk them through it to say, look, you, you have some very profound feelings, but as you've seen, feelings are a part of the flesh and, and if you listen to them, Life's going to get hard. You know, the problem with feelings is, is every once in a while we have the right feeling. We're going, I felt that. It was right. Yeah, one out of a million. You know, but the thing is, is that most of the time, 
if we just didn't listen to our feelings, we would just be 100% better off. And so in maturity, we, we just quit listening to the feelings. And so it's important that when we walk by faith, not by sight, sight referring to feelings, we take the faith of God's word. Christ said that I'm in him and there's no condemnation, but I feel condemned at this moment. So what? It's irrelevant. Sometimes I should be weeping and I'm laughing. Sometimes I'm laughing and I should be weeping. Sometimes I should feel worried and I'm not worried at all. I mean, there's all kinds of feelings I should have and don't have. And so here's one that we should not have. And we need to let the truth of God's word set us free. We're going to see next week in Romans 8, verse 33 and 34. It comes back to this topic and it says, Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Here's the next question. Who is he who condemns? (laughs) So here's two rhetorical questions. Who's going to bring a charge against God's elect? Who's going to condemn God's elect? Well, we've talked about it. We, we're, we're our own worst enemy often, aren't we? We can condemn us better than anybody can condemn us. The devil condemns us. Others condemn us. A lot of times you think other people are condemning us. They're really not. We just feel like they are. You know, maybe they, what they said to us wasn't condemning at all, but yet we felt condemned when they said that. So there's a lot of things going on out there. But the question that's being answered here in Romans 8, 33 and 34 is, it's irrelevant. Whoever's bringing a charge, you, yourself, somebody else, Satan, whoever's condemning you, it's irrelevant because notice, it's Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercessions for us. In Hebrews, it says he ever lives to make intercessions for us. What is it saying here? God is the judge, and he's not judging us. Christ, if you would, is the prosecuting attorney, and he's not prosecuting us. So you have all these people saying, take him to court. And the judge is saying, no, I'm not going to listen to their case. But, but doesn't their sin need to be punished? Absolutely. Yeah. And it has been already punished. Well, when was his sin punished? 2,000 years ago on Christ. You know, that's the important thing to, to understand here. Is that the Bible is not saying that sin is not condemned. Sin is very much condemned. But it's already been condemned in Christ. In 1 John 4, verse 10. And this is love. Not that we loved God but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. You know, we just need to stop here a moment and just understand from God's point of view. He's our father. He loves us. He's our shepherd. He cares for us. We're a part of him. He's the vine. We're the branches. We're in him. He's in us. That we just have this incredible relationship that he wants us to live with him. And there's no condemnation. And on top of that, he wants us to understand his love for us. Now, his love for us is infinite. I mean, we could meditate on this 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and we wouldn't even begin to scratch the surface of how much God loves us. You know, you often hear people say when they have their own children, man, you know the neat thing in having my own child is I realize how much my parents love me. 
You know, I never really understood a love of a parent towards a child until I had my own kids. And, and it's actually deepened my relationship with my own parents once I had my own kids. In the same way, there's, there's a reality that we love people and we love God. And, and, and it's such a shallow degree compared to how much God loves us that he gave his only begotten son to suffer, to be tortured, to die. And boy, we need to understand that, that, that Christ didn't just die. He wasn't just stabbed with a sword and killed over dead. That Christ was arrested. He was slapped. He was hit. His hair was poked, pulled out. They put a crown of thorns upon his head. They poked him with a spear. They, they nailed him to a cross. Christ didn't just die for our sins. He, he, he paid the penalty of our sin. The punishment that our sin deserved, he received. Do we understand that? That he, our sin, we're not getting off free. (laughs) Our sin, God's not saying, live and let live, doesn't really matter, I've just forgiven everybody. No, our sin has to be punished. And Christ received the punishment of our sin. And that's what we see in the story of the cross. Not only that, but he also received the shame of our sin. He was stripped naked. He was nailed between two thieves. It was seen by all observing that he was truly an evil man. Although he had never sinned, he was crucified along sinners. And not only that, the shame of our sin, but the guilt of our sin. So it's important that we understand, don't just say, well, Christ died for my sin. Christ did far more than die for your sin. He was punished Your sin has been atoned for. The the penalty that your sin deserved has been paid for. The shame of your sin has been paid for. The guilt of your sin has been paid for. Often I think Christians say, yeah, I've been forgiven, but then they carry the shame. Yeah, I've been forgiven, but they carry the guilt. And this is where Romans 8 is saying, no condemnation, no guilt, no shame, no weight. No punishment. And that goes for the sins of our past. That goes for the sins of our present. And guess what? (laughs) It goes for the sins of our future. Now, I I hope right now your rebellious streak is over. (laughs) I I hope right now that every one of us have, in our pilgrimage as a believer, have come to that place to just say, God, I'm just submitted. I want your will, not my will. I don't care how hard the road is in front of me to live a a life of character and honesty and godliness. Lord, I just want your will, my hands, my feet, my life. It's yours, God. I'm submitted. I, I really hope that's you today. And if it's not, you can just do that in your heart right now. But even with that great of a submitted heart, you're still gonna sin. You're still gonna fall short. You're still gonna have irritable moments and angry moments and lustful moments and all kinds of sinful, and you're going to hate it. I mean, in the middle of it, you're going to hate it. <laughs> you're going to hate it as you're doing it. And after it's done, it's, but you're going you're gonna to fall. The Bible tells us that we're going to stumble because we're in this sinful body. And so in essence, this doctrine is not telling us of a past action, of there's no condemnation. So let go of the stuff of the past. The Bible is saying you need to live in a life of no condemnation even 
the stumblings and the shortcomings you're going to have in the future. That even as we walk into that sin tomorrow, next week, and the moment we feel the guilt of that sin, the moments our conscience begins to condemn us, that we repent. I, I hear you, Spirit. You live in me. I, I, I repent. Forgive me, Lord. And now by faith, have no condemnation. But, but oh, it was so rotten. I've been a Christian 30 years. I know better. I feel so rotten. You know what? No condemnation. I'm going to please you, Jesus, by not allowing my heart to condemn me. I'm going to please you, Lord, by not allowing my conscience to condemn me. I know even the dead works of my conscience you paid for on the cross, and I'm going to fall seven times and get up seven times. Isn't God wonderful? (laughs) He's going to get us there. And even if you ended up with hate in your heart, like Jonah towards the Assyrians, God's already prepared a fish in advance to swallow you up. He's going to get you there. And that's the great joy, is that God's at work to will and to do of his good pleasure in our life. And, you know, we think of Jonah, how he just wasn't going to go to Nineveh. And there that great fish swallowed him up and rebellious for three days in a fish. I don't know about you, but the moment I got swallowed, I repent. I mean, the moment I start going down, I repent. I mean, one second in a claustrophobic environment, I repent. That's all it took. But he's down there three days. Seaweed wrapped around his neck and he's dying and body eating acids weeding away at his body and he's like, no, still not going. It's just amazing. And finally he gets there and fish vomits him out and off he goes off to Nineveh and he just, in anger, walks through the city and 30 days comes destruction, 30 days comes destruction. Goes, sits on the side of the hill and starts looking for God to start raining fire and can destroying it like it did Sodom and Gomorrah. But the people repented. And what was, what was Jonah's attitude? I know you, God. You're so full of loving kindness and tender mercy. I knew you'd forgive even the wickedest people on earth. I mean, <laughs> he knew it so well, the mercies of God. He knew that even the wickedest people on earth at that time could repent and be made right with him. And that's why he didn't want to come near there. Even with such a horrible message. <laughs> 30 days comes destruction, no hope, no words of salvation. It was sufficient. And so if we can see that for the Ninevites, if Jonah could see that through the midst of his prejudice and hate, why can't we see that as children of God? How much more as children of God are we going to have the, the great grace of God upon us? Well, back in Romans 8, so there is now. Hopefully you'll leave here today, say now. Maybe it didn't have, wasn't like this this morning, but now. Now after I've listened to verse 1 here, from this point forward, for me and my mind and my heart and my life, no more condemnation. Why? Because we're in Christ Jesus He goes on to say, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. That same line is at the end of verse 4, and we'll look at that in a moment. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. 
So I need to stop here and, and, and make it clear. There is a law of sin. There is a law of death. The Bible says the soul that sins shall die. The Bible says the person who has not been forgiven will go into hell for eternity in a lake of fire for an eternal punishment. That has not changed. Those laws are very much in effect. There's one way of escape, and that's through the work of Jesus Christ. If you go through that door and receive Christ into your life, you will have eternal life, and you'll pass from life or from death into life. No condemnation. But the law of sin is very much effect. And so Christians often say, but, 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 but I deserve condemnation. I, I, I like your sermon today, Brian. That's a nice thought. That's rosy and cheery. But I deserve condemnation. I agree. You do. <laughs> I do. We all deserve to be condemned in a lake of fire forever and ever and ever. A matter of fact, John 16 says, The Holy Spirit's in the world convicting every man of sin and of righteousness, and of judgment. We all know that law. That law of sin and that law of death, it's very much in effect right now. However, notice here, the law of the spirit of life has set us free from that law of sin and death. So the law didn't disappear. And this is how some people end up with sort of a a theology that says, oh, everybody eventually is going to go to heaven. Because Christ on the cross destroyed the law of sin and death. It's no longer in in existence. Guys, the Bible does not say that. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has condescended over the other law that still exists. It would be like this. The first guy who begins to fly says, all right, we destroyed the law of gravity. (laughs) Did the law of gravity get destroyed when they started flying the plane? No. It's the law of gravity still very much in effect. But the law of aerodynamics has transcended above the law of gravity. So why the law of gravity is still in effect, the law of aerodynamics has conquered over the law of gravity as long as you abide in those laws, right? So in the same way, With the work of Christ, even though the law of sin and death is still there, and our sins deserve condemnation, and that's why Christ was condemned with our sin. The Bible says a soul that sins shall surely die. Christ never sinned. So how did he die? Your sin, my sin, put him to death. He indeed was punished and condemned with our sin. And so we have the law of the spirit of life, The aerodynamics conquering over the gravity of the law of sin and death. In verse 3, for what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. Notice what he did. He, Jesus, condemned sin in the flesh. Here's the powerful thing here. The law was weak. It could simply show us we were sinners. It couldn't help us conquer our sin. So God sent his son into human flesh, in the likeness of sinful human flesh, that he could take our sin upon him and be the perfect sacrifice to condemn our sin in the flesh. And so we all have that sense. My sin should be condemned. Tomorrow we may sin and we feel the guilt of our sin, our conscience. 
Our hearts condemn us and we see, think, you know, it's not right that I can just say, God, forgive me and, and, and move on. Because there, there needs to be a sense of punishment and judgment. You're absolutely right. That's the law of sin and death, bearing witness with your spirit. But we need to remember that Christ 2,000 years ago already paid for that sin and he condemned that sin already in advance in his flesh. And in verse 4, that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled, notice, by us. What's it say in verse 4? That the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us. You know what? I would love to say, Christ did all the work on the cross, I'm forgiven, and now I'm walking perfectly righteously. Follow me this week, and you'll see that Christ's righteousness is perfectly played out in my life. Even though he who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of Christ, and we are in spirit, guess what? We still, in this human flesh, stumble and fall in many ways. So even though we're stumbling and falling, our righteousness is not tainted. In Ephesians 5, it says that Christ, our husband, is constantly cleansing us, washing us, making us without spot or blemish, prepared for the day of his coming. And then he has that line, that final line that says, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. And you say, aha, there's the fine print, there's the catch. Of all these wonderful things of no condemnation, all the wonderful things of the spirit of life is those who don't walk in the flesh. And that's my problem. I walk in the flesh. No, you don't. You struggle with the flesh, you fight with the flesh, but you don't walk in it. Well, how do you know? Because a person who walks in the flesh doesn't ever say, I'm walking in the flesh. <laughs> he just says, I'm just walking the way I walk. What's, what are you looking at? I, I have no idea what you're talking about. The guy in the flesh doesn't wrestle with the flesh. He goes out and he parties, he gets drunk, he takes a girl home and sleeps with her and gets up the next day and cooks breakfast and, oh, what's your name again? Oh, yeah, Betty, okay, yeah, you know, you want some eggs? Okay, now get out of, the, get out of here, I'm going to watch football in a minute. And, you know, he goes on with his life. There's no wrestling going on, there's no struggle. There's no guilt. He didn't say, man, hmm, maybe I shouldn't have slept with her. I didn't even know her name. Hmm. There's no wrestling going on. He's, he's in the flesh. The fact that you're sitting here today going, man, I struggle with the flesh. You've just stated that you're a Christian. <laughs> Hold it. Me struggling with my flesh means I'm a Christian? Yeah. You wouldn't have a struggle with your flesh if God's spirit didn't live within you. The only reason you have a struggle is because God's Holy Spirit is in you. You're no longer your own. You've been bought with a price. You are now the Holy of Holies. And you know that the sins of this world can't abide with the Holy of Holies, who you are. And that's why there's a struggle going on. You're not in the flesh if you're born again. If you've asked Jesus to be the Lord of your life, his Spirit is living in you. And you are no longer in the flesh. You no longer walk in the flesh. Do you war against the flesh? Yes. Do you wrestle with the flesh? Do you lose some battles to the flesh? Yes. But the fact that all of that is a turmoil to you, and the fact that you're continually fighting that fight, means that you're a born-again believer. So in essence, he's saying, if you're born again, 
Remember Jesus said to Nicodemus, that which is flesh is flesh, but that which is spirit is spirit. I say to you, must be born again. And Nicodemus says, I don't think my mom's going to let me go back in her womb. No, no, no. I'm not talking about a physical birth. I'm talking about a spiritual birth. It's interesting in Romans up to this point, there's four or five times that the word referring to the Spirit of God has been mentioned. But now we get to Romans 8. And the word spirit in chapter 8 is mentioned 21 times. God now takes us off our flesh in chapter 7. Things I don't want to do, I do. Things like, oh, woe is me, woe is me. Who will deliver us from this body of death? Thanks be to Christ Jesus, our Lord. And then chapter 8 comes and says, the spirit. It's the spirit. It's the life of the spirit. As you walk in the Spirit, you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. It's not by might nor by power, but by what? My Spirit, says the Lord, this mountain shall be brought down and made a plain. How will the mountain of our flesh, of our sinful condition, be won? By the Spirit of God, by the life of the Spirit, by the Spirit of liberty. Jesus in John 6, 63 says, The Spirit gives life, but the flesh profits nothing. So you say, but I, I don't get it. I mean, here I am. I'm, I'm wrestling, and it seems like I lose more battles than I win. We, we go through those times, don't we? I mean, we go through times where it seems like we're winning more battles than we're losing, and it's, it's pretty fun. And then all of a sudden, things just go upside down, and it seems like, we're almost never winning any of the battles. But think about it. You're in a time right now where you're losing more battles than you're winning. What's your response to that? You're humbled by it. You're broken by it. Your heart's crying out to God in a deeper way than it normally does. Do you see how the devil can't win? He's there tempting you and bringing you down and and, and trying to to cause you to go down into this deep pit. And in that deep pit, you cry out to God in a deeper way than you've ever cried out before. You're more connected to him than ever before. In Psalm 51, a broken and contrite heart, these I will not despise, says the Lord. Even when Satan's trying to finish us off in condemnation, we just cry out going, God, and I don't know about you, But the biggest sins in my life are the ones that have caused me to love God the most. He who sins much loves much, right? I mean, I've had sins where God's forgiven me. I'm like, thank you, Lord. Oh, that's good. But then I've had sins that I'm just like, oh, my goodness. If I were you, God, I'd just kill me and like a little gnat and wipe me off the edge of the earth. And that's when God just wraps his arms around me and loves me and gives me more grace and mercy than I've ever had. And in that deep pit, I'm just like, God, I love you more than I've ever loved you. And in the depths of our depravity, we come even nearer to God. Do you see how we're we're only going to have victory? The war is won. God's already told us the war is won. The accuser's going to be cast out. All sins already been paid for. We're ultimately going to be in our brand new bodies. But even now, as we continue in the Spirit, hold on to your confidence. Don't lose that confidence. Where your sin abounds, 
his grace will abound more, right? The righteous man falls seven times and gets up seven times. And we need to come back to that place to just say, even when we're wrestling with the flesh in a way we've never wrestled with it before, that we come back by faith in the spirit. Walk by faith, not by sight, not by feeling. And to say, God, I know that there's no pit too deep that your hand and your grace and your mercy isn't deeper. There's no sin so many that your cross didn't pay for them all. And like I said before, I don't want to minimize sin. Sin hurts. It could cost you your marriage. It could cost you your health. It could cost in your kids disobedience. Years of your foolishness in your children and you see it in them, they're full. I mean, there's, sin's hurtful. It's painful and you're going to reap what you sow. And so I don't want to minimize sin. But at the same time, we're not to allow sin to have a hold on us, to condemn us. Amen? Well, Lord, we thank you for your word today. And we do ask as you've washed us, as you've cleansed us, as you've strengthened our faith, you said faith comes by hearing here by the word of God, that you would equip us today in a deeper way than ever before. That our Bibles from this day forward, if they were to fall off a table, would open to Romans 8. That we would come back continually walking by faith, not by sight, not by feelings. That all sin must be condemned and you condemned it. That all of us are deserving of punishment, but yet you took our punishment. That all the shame that we should feel, we're not because you've taken the shame. You've taken the guilt. You've taken all the weight of our sin, every bit of it, through hours and hours of trying and torture and hanging upon the cross. You took every bit of every sin of every man that we all could come to you and receive eternal life. We know not all will come, but Lord, we come today. If you're here today and you're not born again, Jesus would say to you as he said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. The flesh profits nothing. It's the spirit that gives life. And if you're here today and you're not a Christian, right now in your heart, cry out, God, I am a sinner. I confess I'm a sinner. And I ask in Jesus' name right now that you would come and be the Lord of my life through the work of Jesus Christ, through his death and resurrection, that I could be forgiven right now, that my name would be written in the book of life, that I would become your child, that I would be a branch abiding in you, the vine. You and me and I and you in a perfect unity. I surrender myself to you today, Lord, to live for you, to follow you, to love you, to obey you. And Lord, if there's any here today that Satan has been just condemning them or their minds and they've just been in a place of of just not wanting to get up, remind them they're righteous and the righteous man gets up, looks upon your smiling face, looks upon the one who loves us so much. Thank you that our conscience isn't seared, that we feel that condemnation. Thank you, Lord, that our hearts condemn us still. We thank you for that guilt, but we let it go now. We trust that as we confess our sin, you are faithful, you are righteous. Not only forgive the sin that we know about, but all the other sins that we don't know about, you cleanse us from all of them. We lay our lives at your feet today thanking you for the wonderful, wonderful word of your grace. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen.